Fans first, Sports Network listeners, welcome to another episode of The Call Sheet. This is your host, Kevin Smith, podcast contributor here at Fans First and writer for the site. Been doing some team previews for the website the last couple of weeks. So if you get a chance, check those out at fansfirstsports.com. Did uh, one on the Colts just the other day. I've touched on the Chargers. We've touched on the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, really just trying to whip our way around the league and look at some of the various teams and where they stand as we head into what's sure to be an exciting 2023 season. So this is episode 16 of our show. And when I, when I think of the number 16 and football, I think of the great Joe Montana, who was really one of the first quarterbacks who, who I remember studying as, a, as a, a younger fan of the game and somebody who thought that I might get into coaching someday. And Joe Montana just played the position of quarterback so gracefully, so fluidly. And when you talk about grace under pressure, there was a guy who just never seemed to be rattled. Uh, I can never forget the famous Joe Montana story where in the Super Bowl against the Cincinnati Bengals, I can't remember which one it was, but what number it was, but it was the one where he hit Jonathan Taylor with a winning touchdown pass on a slant with about 30 seconds left to beat the Cincinnati Bengals there. And, and as the, as Montana was taking the field with about four minutes left with the ball pinned back on his own eight yard line, he had to drive the team 92 yards. He saw the actor, John Candy, standing on the sideline or in the stands. And as he, as he walked into the huddle, he said to all his teammates, Hey guys, look, it's John Candy. I mean, just what a wonderful way to break the tenseness of the moment. And of course they went down the field, scored and, and won the Super Bowl. So 16, Joe Montana, that will, that will always be etched in my brain. So, okay. On today's show, we're going to look at a couple of things, right? In the first half of the show, we're going to do something we call the whip around, right? The whip around is, is actually the name of a, of a podcast that I'll be doing shortly with FFSN editor-in-chief Jeff Hartman. Uh, Jeff and I will, will do the whip around as a regular piece on Mondays or Tuesdays during the season in which we recap some of the big events of the previous weekend where we look at some of the games and focus on whether they're teams or individuals or big moments from the weekend. And we kind of go around the league and we hit on a bunch of different topics in a short period of time. That's what I'm going to do in the first part of the show today. I'm going to do a little whip around segment. And then in the second part, I'm going to look at the Jonathan Taylor situation and how that's playing out in Indianapolis, kind of a sad situation at the moment. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is a player who I'll talk a little bit more about later. Somebody I admire had a chance to watch him play when he was uh, in high school. And I'm hoping that situation can get resolved. And we'll have a special guest on the show to talk about that. But first, the whip around segment. All right, let's go around the league and look at some of the things that are happening as training camps are underway throughout the NFL. Let's start in Buffalo. Start with a a feel good story, right? You, You hear a lot of negativity in the news these days. And sometimes it's nice to just start with something positive, right? So, so that positive relates to DeMar Hamlin, the Bill's safety, who, as everybody knows, suffered a life-threatening spine injury on national television last year in Cincinnati. And most people, one, were relieved to find out that DeMar Hamlin actually survived because it was touch and go there for a little bit. He had to be uh, given cardiac uh, arrest or, or went into cardiac arrest and had to be resuscitated on the field. Terrifying moment. And, and then, two, I think most people thought, well, 
Thank God he's alive, but that's the end of his football career. But DeMar Hamlin took the field on Monday at Bill's training camp in pads and went through his first padded practice. And that is amazing. And I don't know what's going to happen from here on out with DeMar Hamlin, but the simple fact that he made it back to the football field is remarkable enough and is a, a huge success story in and of itself. But it does raise an interesting question. And that question is whether or not this is a smart move on DeMar Hamlin's part. Is it smart of him to enter back into professional football, given the risk that that uh, presents to people under normal circumstances? And now, of course, with Hamlin having been what he's been through, can he possibly be the same player? Can he play with the same intensity? And that remains to be seen. But, but it speaks to his passion for the game, the fact that he is back. Uh, it speaks to the fact that he is somebody who simply, uh, this means so much to him that he fully understands the risks and he fully understands what he's doing. He he was given a clean bill of health and he was cleared by the medical doctors. It's not a risk beyond any normal risk as far as they're concerned, but psychologically it's got to be a really huge hurdle to overcome. And again, it just, as somebody who's been around football my entire life, the passion that players have for the game that coaches have for the game is something that's difficult to explain because it's, it's like inherent. It's something that's in you. And I think that it's something DeMar Hamlin feels he has to do. He, he probably wouldn't be able to live with himself if he didn't at least give it another shot. And so he's going to, and obviously everybody is wishing him the best and beyond whatever results occur on the field. It's a tremendous success story. Just the fact that he took the field on Monday. Okay. Now moving to a really different topic out in Denver. New head coach Sean Payton made some headlines this week with some really interesting remarks about his predecessor as the head coach of the Broncos, Nathaniel Hackett. Payton said that the job that Nathaniel Hackett and his staff did in Denver last year was one of the worst coaching jobs in NFL history. That is, that is not pulling punches whatsoever. That's not mixing your words. Uh, and, and Payton, it's not the first time Payton's been critical of what he saw on film from the Broncos last year. Earlier, he remarked that he thought that watching the Broncos on, on film last year, that they were hard to watch, that they were poorly coached, that they executed poorly. Um, and, of course, you know, the comments ruffled a lot of feathers. Aaron Rodgers in New York, where Nathaniel Hackett is now the offensive coordinator, was quick to respond, saying that he felt – as though Hackett's comments were not simply unfortunate, but that Hackett should, quote, keep my coach's name out of your mouth, which I thought was a pretty good Aaron Rodgers quote. Uh, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know how I feel about those comments. I think maybe uh, maybe Sean Payton could have mixed, mixed his words a little bit better, found a little bit what better way to say it. Payton himself apologized and said that he regretted contexting his comments the way that he did. But in a way... It was kind of refreshing to hear a coach be so candid and so honest because NFL coaches treat anything, all information, whether it's their assessment of players or their discussion of schemes or whatever, as if they're protecting the nuclear launch codes. I mean, these are guys who live in this really insulated fraternity and they don't trust each other. And they're really determined not to give any information that, that could tip their hat or reveal their intentions. And so it was, I don't know, it was kind of refreshing. Although I, I get why people in New York are upset. Uh, but 
I didn't really mind what Sean Payton had to say. And at the end of the day, what this really means is that on October 8th, when the Jets go to Denver to play uh, at Denver in a 425 p.m. Eastern start, that will be a really, really interesting football game. Okay, moving to Dallas, right? In Dallas, backup running back Ronald Jones was suspended this week for the first two games of the season for a PED violation. And Jones was expected to be Dallas's number two on their depth chart behind Tony Pollard. And the Cowboys are now without a clear number two. They've got some young guys in camp, but they don't have an established player. And Jones was an established player coming over from Tampa Bay where he had some veteran experience. And this means that the Cowboys could potentially be in the market for a running back. So it's kind of fascinating to think, would they give old friend Ezekiel Elliott a call? I mean, that seems really unlikely, right? They're, Elliott's only 28 years old. I think he felt wronged in the way that his release was treated uh, by the Cowboys. He recently was in New England for a visit. Elliott would probably have suitors who would be willing to g- give him a bigger role than what the Cowboys could offer, given the fact that Pollard seems to clearly be established as the, the starter. But it would kind of make sense, right? I mean, Elliott doesn't have a contract offer. He doesn't have a job. He knows the system. The Cowboys need a guy. I'm not holding my breath by any stretch of the imagination. But that would be fascinating if the Cowboys gave Zeke Elliott a call. More likely, they're going to elevate a guy from camp. Uh, Malik Davis, young running back, seems to have earned the praise of head coach Mike McCarthy. So he might be the guy who winds up uh, getting the, the call as the backup. It's, all, it's only two games, but we'll see what, what goes on there. That'll be interesting. All right, out to San Francisco real quick, where Trey Lance has been making some headlines for his play in camp. And it's interesting because you kind of forget about Trey Lance. But Brock, Brock Purdy came in and he stole all the headlines last year. And then there was you know the conversation about what are they going to do about Jimmy Garoppolo? He moves on to Vegas. But then Purdy suffered the injury in the NFC Championship game. Last season against the Eagles, that's that's kept him out, although he seems to be kind of ahead of schedule in terms of his recovery. He might be available in week one. You have Sam Darnold, who was signed maybe to be the starter there in the interim. But Lance now has come on and seems to be doing very, very well. And Lance, of the three, Lance might be the best fit for Kyle Shanahan's offense overall because of his mobility and because of some of the things that he allows Shanahan to do outside the pocket. So it'd be very interesting to see if Trey Lance continues to make headlines, if Brock Purdy struggles a little bit when he comes back, who winds up being the week one starter when San Francisco goes to Pittsburgh? All right, to Minnesota. The Vikings reached an agreement this week with their star edge rusher, Donnell Hunter, one year, $20 million deal. Hunter gets $17 million guaranteed, and he gets a, new, a, a no trade clause, which is it's a nice a nice little add-in there for the three-time Pro Bowler. That's an interesting deal there in Minnesota because it, it seems to work for both parties. You know, Hunter gets gets $20 million and $17 million guaranteed, as we said. Uh, he gets to now come back to a place where he's familiar, give himself an opportunity to earn an even bigger payday perhaps next season. Uh, he also gets to play for Brian, Brian Flores, uh, the new defensive coordinator in Minnesota, who – could really make good use of an explosive player like Hunter. Flores is a very aggressive coordinator, and uh, Hunter seems to be a great fit 
for some of the things that he wants to do. But the contract's also a good fit for the Vikings because the one-year deal uh, really keeps the books clean. I mean, if Minnesota wants to move on next season from some of their bigger-priced players like Kirk Cousins, like Hunter, if they want to throw a lot of money at Justin Jefferson uh, in, by re-signing him, if they want to simply clean house, they're going to have some flexibility. And so the Hunter deal seems to be a win-win for the player and the franchise. All right, on to Pittsburgh Steelers camp real quick, where second-year quarterback Kenny Pickett and second-year wide receiver George Pickens seem to be impressing an awful lot of people. Pickett has wowed his teammates with his growth and his leadership. He's said to be bigger, physically stronger, uh, has really grown into a leadership role. There doesn't seem to be a single person in Pittsburgh with a bad thing to say about Kenny Pickett right now. And, you know, Pickett was kind of under the radar as the, as the season came down, down the stretch last year. He led the NFL over the final nine games in game-winning drives with four of them. A couple of those were really dramatic. Last-minute wins against Las Vegas and Baltimore where Pickett threw game-winning touchdown passes. And Pickens really impressed people with his downfield uh, receiving ability last year. He was one of the best in the league on contested balls, 50-50 balls, those so-called jump balls up the sideline. And his 53 catches in 800-some yards came while running a rather limited route tree. And so far in camp, Pickens is showing off a much more nuanced route tree, the ability to, to read coverages, to operate in the middle of the field. If the Pickens-to-Pickett connection in Pittsburgh can get going, then that could really open up a Steelers offense that has shown that it can run the football, but really must grow in the passing game in order for the Steelers to get back to the playoffs. I'll be out in Pittsburgh on Thursday of this week at Steelers training camp. I'm going to get a closer look at that connection while I'm there. All right, let's talk about one more team as we whip around the league here a little bit. And that team is the New England Patriots. We'll circle back to New England. We mentioned uh, previously that they, entertained Ezekiel Elliott for a visit. And the Patriots seem to be in the running back market. They also hosted Leonard Fournette. Now they have a stud there already in Ramondre Stevenson, who interestingly, this when I, when I saw this statistic, it kind of blew my mind. Ramondre Stevenson is aiming to become the first back-to-back thousand-yard rusher in New England since Curtis Martin back in 1996-1997. So New England has not had a back-to-back thousand-yard rusher in over 25 years. That seems shocking to me in a Bill Belichick uh, system. And that actually precedes Belichick. That goes back to Bill Parcells when he was in New England. So Stevenson was a thousand yard rusher last year, but he wore down as the season progressed. He became less effective uh, in the latter half of the season. And so New England would love to pair Stevenson with another stud back. They've entertained Fournette. They've entertained Elliott. They certainly could take a look at Dalvin Cook. And any of those combinations would be beneficial for Mac Jones, who struggled last year while uh, the you know untested Matt Patricia was his offensive coordinator, but now it gets Bill O'Brien. And if you could give Jones a good run game, O'Brien will certainly build a better passing game uh, for Jones than what he had last season. So quick side note, real, real fast. Bill Belichick, since Tom Brady left in 2020, in the three seasons since, Bill Belichick's gone 25 and 25 in New England with no playoff wins. And 
I, I, I feel as though like Bill Belichick kind of has a lifetime deal for everything that he's done for the Patriots, everything he's accomplished there. I feel like Robert Kraft is simply going to say to Bill Belichick, hey, you tell me when you're finished. But, you know, you never know, man. It's a bottom line business. It's a what have you done for me lately business. And Kraft and Belichick remain really close. But the AFC East is really, really good. The Bills and the Jets and the Dolphins are all going to be really good. And the Patriots seem like the worst team in the division. And, you know, if the Patriots don't improve significantly, they were 8-9 and nine last year. I mean, given how hard the division is, you could easily see the Patriots going 7-10, and 10, something like that this year. Does, uh, does Bill Belichick's seat get a little hot? Again, I don't, I don't think it does. I think he kind of has a long rope. I don't know if he has a lifetime deal. I don't know if he like has a I'll tell you when I'm done type deal. But if they go now a fourth season without a playoff win, uh, three out of those four seasons not qualifying for the playoffs, a losing record in the four years since Tom Brady left, I mean, does the urgency – get turned up a notch on Bill Belichick to get back to his winning ways. That would be kind of fascinating to watch. Okay. So the last story in our whip around segment, I said that was the last story, but I'll, I'll preview what we're going to do after the break. Our, our, our last story is going to be about Jonathan Taylor and what's going on with his relationship with the Colts. As most people know, Jonathan Taylor wants a new contract. Uh, the Colts are not offering one. He had a meeting on Monday with Jim Irsay, which did not go well. He then issued a trade demand. The Colts say they're not trading Taylor, and the two sides appear to be at a standoff. And so we're going to examine that situation in a little closer detail, and we're going to do it with a, a Colts insider, Andrew Moore of the Horseshoe Huddle, which is one of the FFSN affiliates, and he's going to talk about it from a Colts perspective. So that'll be a really interesting conversation. So stick around after the break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the call sheet. Kevin Smith with you. In the first part of the show, we were talking about some training camp news and really some of the more interesting stories now that are emanating out of camps in regard to some of the league's veterans. It's been a really interesting uh, start to the camp season from a news perspective, as far as veterans go, not necessarily with on the field issues, but, but some of the off the field issues. And we're going to continue that discussion here in part two by talking about the Jonathan Taylor situation. That situation has ramifications, not just for Taylor and the Indianapolis Colts, but for the running back market and for, for players, league wide for the for the collective bargaining agreement it's really kind of a fascinating topic and and to get into that topic uh, I'm going to bring in a, a special guest here this is Andrew Moore who covers the Colts for the Horseshoe Huddle here on FFSN Andrew great to have you with me man welcome aboard yeah thanks for having me Kevin it's it's uh it's going it's going to be an interesting conversation I feel like about Jonathan Taylor and and what's going on here in Indy yeah absolutely so before we get into the Taylor conversation I always like to ask my guests these two questions. First question, how'd you become a Colts fan? 
So way back in, in third grade, my third grade teacher was a huge Colts fan and he'd always talk to us about the Colts and, uh, and, and that's when I kind of really started watching the games and then my fandom just kind of took off from there. So, uh, been, been a long time, but uh, 25 years almost, uh, as a Colts fan and, uh, been riding the roller coaster ever since. Oh, gotcha. Okay. As a fellow teacher, I, I, you know, one, I'm, I'm proud of your third grade teacher for having that influence <laughs> on you. But two, I, I can honestly say I've never, I've never influenced a student of mine to become a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. That's, that's probably because we live, I live in Eagles country. So, so there's not, <laughs> not hard, not easy to get them to, to, to sway away from Philly. But, you know, teachers out there, you never know what kind of impact you're going to have on your students. Right. He ended up taking me to my first Colts game. He was also my basketball coach. So uh, took took some of us on the team to uh, the last regular season game in the RCA Dome uh, way back when. So that was my first ever Colts game. And 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 now you can catch me at, at every single one of the home games at Lucas Oil Stadium. Oh, that's awesome. All right. One more one more quick Colts question. Right. Who's your who's your favorite all time Colt? I mean, it's 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 pretty obvious. It's got to be Peyton Manning. You know, watching Peyton Manning's career uh, and and the greatness that that he brought, uh, and and basically turning Indianapolis from from a racing town uh, into a football town. Uh, you you see now more more Colts jerseys than than ever walking around downtown Indianapolis. And and who knows if Peyton Manning is it in Indianapolis Colt, we might be talking about the Los Angeles Colts uh, if Jim Irsay would have moved the team. So yep, it, it's it's got to be Peyton Manning. Yeah, that's a interesting point. That's a I didn't really think of it from that perspective. How you can really turn a town uh, into uh, an entire sport, kind of what LeBron James did in Cleveland when he right. when he sort of moved the the, the town into to being a basketball town. So that's that's pretty pretty significant impact. So okay, let's get into this this conversation about Jonathan Taylor. First, a, a personal note, right? I I have a soft spot in my heart for Jonathan Taylor. A lot of the listeners of the show here know I'm a, I'm a football coach in in Southern New Jersey, and I can remember back in it was probably around 2014 2015 we were going to play a high school Deptford high school uh, in a, in a game. And we were scouting them and, and looking at their film and Deptford was playing Salem high and Salem was not on our schedule. So, so we didn't really get a chance to see them. And as we watched the film, we're supposed to be scouting Deptford and uh, everybody, all the coaches watching the film just couldn't take their eyes off the Salem running back. We were like, who the heck is this kid? And one of our coaches was also a track coach, and he was like, "Oh, that's Taylor. He's he's also a state champion in the hundred meters. He's a track kid." I was like, "He's a track kid. He looks like he's about two hundred and thirty pounds. I mean, he really looked like a man playing against boys." Uh, and so I've been really following Jonathan Taylor's career ever since through Wisconsin and 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 obviously his career at Indianapolis. I've had the opportunity to get to know his high school coach. Everybody raves about him. Everybody says. What a great young man uh, he is. He's done wonderful things for the community in Salem, New Jersey, supports the high school program, uh, has bought them all sorts of stuff. I mean, he generally seems like a kind of guy who doesn't want to be in a position where now he's being judged for, uh, you know, by people as to whether or not, oh, is he being selfish? Is, is, he, uh, is, he, is he a me first guy? I mean, that's kind of, when you get into these contract talks, that's some, some of the stuff that you sometimes hear. So, so tell me about this, man. How did we get to this point? How do we get to the point where Jonathan Taylor and the Colts are kind of at this standoff? Yeah, it's it's over the past 
couple months, it's really taken a drastic turn uh, because it was, I mean, it was only in, in OTAs in June where well, that's the last time we, we publicly heard from Jonathan Taylor. And I mean, he said he would, he would love to retire Colt and, and he was perfectly fine uh, with, with, with playing out his four-year contract. He said, I, I signed the contract and, and I want to, I want to play it out and, and honor that. And, and now all of a sudden it just, things have changed ever since camp has started now. I mean, we, you see him out at practice and he, he, his whole demeanor has changed. Normally we see Jonathan Taylor with a big smile on his face, cheering on his teammates. Uh, haven't seen that at any of the training camp practices. He has his hood up. He has a very stern look on his face. Um, and, and it just seems like, like things, the whole demeanor and the whole relationship has changed now. As of right now, uh, the Colts have not offered Jonathan Taylor an extension. Um, they're they're taking a more wait and see up approach. Uh, although Jonathan Taylor has been great over these last three seasons for the Colts, the Col- the the fact is the Colts went four twelve and one last year. And and Chris Ballard has said, you know, we have a good history, but we also had four wins. So it's uh, we want to see how these guys play with this new coaching staff. And this doesn't just just mean Jonathan Taylor. I mean, Michael Pittman Jr. is up for an extension with the Colts. Kenny Moore, the second Grover Stewart. There's a lot of big names on this team that that are due contracts here. And, but it seems like Taylor has definitely been the one that takes that more, that more vocal approach to it. Uh, I also, while, while it doesn't, nothing has came out publicly as far as this being a reason. Um, it certainly seems like he's having influence from, from the, from his new management team. He hired uh, this management team this summer in preparation for these contract talks. And, and ever since, it just seems like the whole demeanor and the whole approach that Jonathan Taylor is taking to this situation has has done a complete 180. And right. and it's, it's ended up now into the public eye. Things are getting messy. Uh, and obviously, we, we're here today talking about Jonathan Taylor requesting a trade from the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah. And when I think back to the Le'Veon Bell situation in Pittsburgh a few years back, now that situation was a little bit different because Bell uh, was had played out his mandatory four years uh, under the CBA and, and was now, you know, trying to decide whether or not to sign a franchise tag. That puts him in a little bit of a different boat than where Taylor is because he's still firmly on his rookie deal. But it it was the agent really that was driving a lot of uh you know, the animosity between the Steelers and Le'Veon Bell and essentially encouraging Bell to hold out and that you'll get paid. And that turned out to be a really bad decision for Le'Veon Bell. I mean, he, he held out, missed a year, um, inevitably took a contract with the Jets that was probably below what he would have gotten with the Steelers. And his career was really never the same. And I don't, I don't think Jonathan Taylor is going to hold out because he doesn't have the leverage. I mean, there's really not much that he can do. What it sounds like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but what it sounds like is that under the current CBA, if he holds out, the the Colts just retain his rights because he hasn't played the mandatory four years that you have to accrue in order uh, to be able to create some flexibility for yourself. And and then even if he does, even if he goes, even if he plays this year, the Colts could still franchise tag him in a year if they wanted to. Is that accurate? 
Yes, that's correct. And and there's if because of the accrued seasons, uh, his rookie deal could actually extend uh, a year because he's only been in the league for three seasons. So in, instead of his his deal ending at the end of this season, it would end at the end of 2024. So that's basically giving the Colts a a third year that they could control Jonathan Taylor. And and with three more years, I mean Taylor will be close to that that 27 uh year old or 27 year age where you start to see the decline of of running back so it, it, this is what makes it this the situation so tough for for jonathan taylor and and why it's very puzzling to me at least why he's taken this approach because he really just doesn't have the the leverage uh and and while there there haven't been we haven't gotten a definitive answer of the contract or the number that Jonathan Taylor would like to see there. There have been rumblings from, from some, from some sources that, that he's looking to be the highest paid running back in the NFL. He, he wants to be the person to lead this charge for, for running backs being valued again. And when you just look at the market and, and there, I, I just try to with Jonathan Taylor, even being a, the incredible back that he is, I don't I don't think that any team in the NFL is going to want to spend 17 million dollars on a running back. It's just not where the league is going, especially where when you think of Christian McCaffrey and how great of a receiving threat he is and that's potentially why he got part of the 16 million that he did. Jonathan Taylor just isn't there yet as far as the receiving aspect of his game. He could certainly get there, I think, because he's more than more than capable as far as his work ethic, the natural talent that he it, that he has. Uh, I think he could get there and become that complete all-around back. But at the same time, things are just working against Jonathan Taylor. And and I understand where he's coming from. I'm, I'm always a, pro- a proponent of players to go get paid as much as you can because players only have a certain amount of time where they can really capitalize on that. But at the same time, you have to be smart with your with your negotiating here. You when you have no leverage, you can't just be making those kinds of demands, and and then letting it play out publicly. Because he, while he can request a trade, the Colts certainly don't have to grant that. And it, it seems like from everything that I have heard within the organization, Jim Mersey and and Chris Ballard have zero plans of trading Jonathan Taylor unless they are completely blown away by an offer. And, and I'm not sure if that's what they're going to get. So it's, it just seems all very miscalculated, whether it, this is Taylor that, that wants to take this approach, whether he's receiving bad advice from his management. It just seems like a, an overly aggressive and, and at times unprofessional approach to all of this uh, when it could have been handled in, in a much, much, much better way and, and probably to get a, a good outcome for both parties. Yeah. I mean, it feels as though there's pressure on Jonathan Taylor from not just maybe his representation or his inner circle, but also from fellow running backs. The running backs are almost seeking to create a union within a union because of the depressed running back market. Najee Harris has been outspoken. He, He had some interesting comments the other day about how running backs are essentially encouraged to produce. And then when they do, it's used against them in contract negotiations because of the wear and tear argument. Oh, well, you know, Najee Harris recognizes he got 381 touches as a rookie. 
Uh, and essentially what he's saying is the Steelers are going to use me as much as they possibly can because they want as much production out of me as they can. And that, in theory, should drive up my contract value. But then it gets used against me in negotiation time by people saying like, oh, well, there's you know not enough tread left on the tire. So it seems as though he's being pushed in that direction to be kind of a, uh, you know, a flag bearer for the, the running back market. Uh, then there's this, this you, you made the point about the, the broader market in general, right? McCaffrey's getting 16 million a year. Alvin Kamara is getting 15, but those guys are different types of backs. Maybe the better comp for Jonathan Taylor is Nick Chubb, who, who's in the $12 million a year range. And that seems like that might be more realistic. So, so you're right. It's going to be very, when the negotiation comes about, whenever that might be, it's going to be very contentious no matter what. And the fact that it's playing out in public is, like you said, very unfortunate. So what's the perception in Indianapolis? I mean, who, who's the bad guy in this sort of public back and forth? Is it is it Ursay and the ownership team? Is it Taylor? How's that being viewed? It's 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 kind of split at this point, but I would say it's probably a two thirds majority uh, of, of Colts fans are, are just souring very quickly on 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 how Jonathan Taylor's agent has really handled all of this, uh, not only with the public attacks against Ursay, uh, with with the constant retweeting and the the, the the likes that he has done over the past week and a half or so. It, it's like he's he's not doing anything to cool the temperature. Now, as an agent, I understand that he, that he doesn't really care uh, about that, but but Colts fans are looking at this and and they don't like when when Jim Ursay is attacked. You know, especially when uh, I, I heard. On the I am an athlete podcast, that that Jim Irsay was being compared to uh, to uh, almost like a slave owner, and it's just uh, I think that's just that's pushing it way too far. You know what I mean? Uh, it's it's Jim Irsay has always uh, had a very good relationship with past and and present players. Uh, he has gone above and beyond to to help his players. Uh, he was the uh, the 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 one that. Uh, welcome and, and introduced Edron James and Marvin Harrison both to their Hall of Fame induction ceremonies. Uh, you hear Tony Dungy, Peyton Manning, Jeff Saturday. You hear all of these great Colts, Robert Mathis, Dwight Franey, talk about their love for for Jim Mersey. And and I think when as as Colts fans, when we've been with Jim Mersey through this whole journey his battle with addiction that he has overcome and and you see people kind of when they when they start to attack it kind of hits a nerve so jonathan taylor and his agent are, are certainly not not doing any favors as far as winning over the court of public opinion uh and and while i think ultimately that that matters very little in in the negotiation process it it definitely doesn't make fans want to want to jump on things or put pressure on the Colts to get some of this to get anything done uh currently and and I, I still think that Colts fans have a genuine love for Jonathan Taylor uh not only for for what he has done on the field but but in the community like you had mentioned what he's in the community there at, in his hometown there in New Jersey he's he's been he's been huge in the community in Indianapolis as well and and that doesn't go that that's not a small thing that that, that Colts fans just forget about they love when players are in the community giving back and 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 that charitable that charitable aspect that that the players have uh, that means something so it's it seems like the, the 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 source of the blame has gone on Jonathan Taylor's agent but at the same time 
it doesn't seem like Jonathan Taylor is really pushing back on on what his agent has has done, the the strategy that that him and his agent are are deploying here. So it, it seems like for the majority of Colts fans, they think that this is a, a poor approach by Jonathan Taylor. They want to see him out there and and healthy first because we got to remember Jonathan Taylor is still on the pup list for an ankle surgery that happened in January that normally has the the recovery time about a month month or two and and we're now in August and he still hasn't been he still is not healed from that ankle injury so there's a little bit of, of mystery around that but it, it just seems like the more this drags on the, the more things come out the more Jonathan Taylor just looks looks very upset in the in the eye of the, in 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 public the more Colts fans are starting to turn and and be like, you know, we want to see you out there playing, and and we we just don't want to hear about this right now. We're supposed to be excited about our rookie quarterback, and that should be the focus, not the not the extension for a running back. Right. All right. So let me put you on the spot. Right. How how do you see this playing out? If you had to kind of look into your crystal ball, all right. Project project for me what happens here. Does Taylor? essentially end the holdout and and play enough games to accrue his final year uh do you know do the do they part ways do the, do the Colts trade him what's going to happen here my gut feeling and and when when the trade when the trade request was announced my guy got feeling well at first my my overreaction was like okay he's done we're not going to see him in a Colts uniform again took the night to think about it and 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 i i think that there's just something in me that still thinks that there's a chance that an extension gets done uh do i think it's going to happen soon no i i do not i think it's going to take jonathan taylor playing and and playing well in shane steichen's offense for the colts to to want to extend jonathan taylor because they're taking this this wait and see approach with with really all their players it doesn't seem like chris ballard is is going to move on and and we have to remember kind of Shane Steichen's role in all of this. Shane Steichen has used multiple running backs wherever he's gone and had success. There's also the Anthony Richardson factor. While on one side, you want to talk about how Jonathan Taylor can, can help Anthony Richardson in his development. There's also the argument that, you know, if the Colts want to use Anthony Richardson and his athleticism to its, to its full potential, that's going to be taking away some of the production that Jonathan Taylor would have and some of the impact in the rushing game that Jonathan Taylor would have. So that could affect things as far as a negotiation standpoint about how valuable Jonathan Taylor is in the running game when if you're going to use Anthony Richardson as, as, a, as a runner in, in some key situations. So I do think that a, a deal does get done. Um, I'm, I, it may take a change in management uh for this to to get to for this to happen otherwise things could get a lot uglier um but but i like the comparison to nick chubb all along i've thought that that around maybe 14 million on average annuals value uh would get it done for jonathan taylor but it, it seems like right now he is dead set on resetting the running back market and if he does not come off of that i don't think he'll be an indianapolis colt if he does and and he ends up wanting to to settle for around that that 13 14 million per year then i think the colts can can work out a deal but this 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 negotiation this saga this all this drama i have a feeling that it's far from over hmm. well you know that's unfortunate because the conversation really should be about richardson and taylor and those guys working together right. so 
that's going to be that's going to be a topic that we're going to we'll have to touch on a, another time. So I you know I'd love to have you back and talk about Anthony Richardson at some point you know throughout the season. Maybe we we'll check in down the road a little bit because I think he's a really fascinating uh, you know modern NFL quarterback, and I think that uh, that obviously Indianapolis is is not positioned yet. Uh, to be to make a good run, uh, they're you know the team kind of in transition, and you got to see how the the Shane Steichen era begins. But with his offense in Philadelphia and some of the tools he has in Indianapolis, I'm really excited to see uh, what they can do offensively. Hopefully, they get Taylor back in the fold, and and you get a chance for Steichen to really kind of put his his system in place there. So, real quick, Andrew, tell tell us about what's going on over there at uh, at Horseshoe Huddle. What are you guys doing? Anything anything interesting in the mix? Uh, it's, it's a lot of Jonathan Taylor right now, <laughs> but, uh, no, we've, we've been, we've been live from, from camp every single day, uh, uh, really bringing all of our camp notes and what we've been seeing everything, every, all, all the latest on Jonathan Taylor is there horseshoe huddle.com, uh, myself and my host, Drake Wally, uh, co-host the uh, the horseshoe huddle podcast where uh, we keep you up to date on everything going on with the indianapolis colts uh so so make sure to go check us out at horseshoehuddle.com the horseshoe huddle podcast uh we'll be bringing you all the content and all the all the latest of the drama with jonathan taylor all the news on anthony richardson uh there's there's never a dull moment it seems uh down in indianapolis so uh keeps us busy uh and it's and it's always fun to talk colts football Fantastic. And I'll, I'll be heading out to Steelers training camp this week myself, which is something I always look forward to. And I'll be catching up with everybody about that when we get back on the program next week. So thanks to everybody for listening. And for Andrew Moore, this is Kevin Smith. This has been another episode of The Call Sheet. Hope everybody has a great week and we'll catch up with you all next week. Take care. Take care.